Lynn and I were amazed that Trish could start a song without even moving her lips. That's, that's very impressive. Well, did you look in the bulletin at the title of the sermon? Finally says the end. I thought maybe we'd get cheers from that. Well, it's not that there isn't more that couldn't be said. The sanctuary service is so full of, of insight as to the ministry of Jesus within our life that we could just keep on preaching and preaching and preaching and have part six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We could probably go throughout eternity because this whole idea of salvation, we will never, ever fully comprehend and we will learn and be learning throughout all eternity. What will be nice in heaven is we'll be able to ask Jesus those difficult questions and let him try to answer the best he can. I'm grateful in my life to be able to have studied and to enter into the most holy place through the Bible and through inspired writings. I had to stop and think the other day. You know, on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, when the high priest entered into the most holy place, I hope he understood the tremendous responsibilities that was upon him. You see, all the confessed sins of the people were placed upon his shoulders. And the cleansing of the sanctuary was a very solemn responsibility. And his ministry in the most holy place determined whether the confessed sins were forgiven or not. Can you imagine the weight on his shoulders as he entered in? I have to stop and think that because it's the same way with pastors today. The weight of the responsibility of being a pastor in the sinful world within the church to preach the gospel truth is a heavy weight. Should never ever be taken lightly because it can determine whether the church family will either be following God or slowly following in another, what Paul calls another gospel, which is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to take lightly. And so it has been really a tremendous help to me to realize how important my ministry is and to allow Christ to speak through me. Only the high priest could enter into the most holy place to seek atonement. And we've discovered in the past few weeks that right now Jesus, our high priest, is in the heavenly sanctuary in the most holy place in the judgment of all people, no matter what denomination they are, all who have claimed to be a follower of Christ, they are being judged right now in the most holy place. When he is finished with that, he throws down his censer and no longer will our prayers of confession, our prayers of 
of desiring to to have eternal life, all of that will be finished. Either I am on Christ's side and have eternal life, or I am not. And we don't know when the judgment will be over. If anyone says they know the exact date, don't believe them. Because we don't know. Anyone that says they know the exact date when Jesus is going to come, don't believe them. Because even the angels who are ministering in heaven right now, they don't even know. And so we need to be ready now. As if this is our last day here on earth. So it's a solemn responsibility and a lot of things that we had to look at. And coming to that realization that Jesus is our high priest, I am so grateful that he is. Because we need that high priest that is in heaven. We need Jesus to minister on our behalf. We need his robe of righteousness. But going back to what we've been learning about the sanctuary service, one of the things that we have to come to realization, and from the Bible we know that the Israelites stood outside of the sanctuary on the Day of Atonement. All their attention was on really three things. Is there any sin in my life that has not been confessed? If so, I need to confess it now. They had a knowledge of their sin. Do you know how they had a knowledge of their sin? How do I know that I'm a sinner? The law. And remember, that is what's inside the ark, is the law of God. And if I break one of the least of the Ten Commandments, I've broken them all. That's how important it is. So there is no smaller sin and he'll, that God will dismiss that small sin because it's a, it's a little one. And I haven't gone out and murdered someone, so I've got it okay. Even the smallest of sins. Remember, Jesus says even the sinful thoughts is as if we had committed that sin. And then remember we studied our righteousness, the things that we do right, is as what? Filthy rags to the eyes of God. So when I stand there in my own righteousness and say, hey, look at me, I'm a good person, you're not good enough. So I need a minister to minister for me in heaven. And so here they're out here, they're standing, they're looking, they, they, they need to search their lives. Is there any sin that has not been confessed And if so, I need to do it now. The second thing is they must have faith in the ministry of the high priest that is inside the sanctuary. They're outside. They can't do anything. It's not based on what they're doing. It's based on what the high priest is doing. And our high priest is Jesus. And so we must have faith in his ministry that he's going to do it right and fair and just. And then they are out there and they're waiting. They're waiting for the return of the high priest because when they finally see him coming out, they realized our sins have been forgiven. We're waiting for our high priest to come back to this earth. When he comes, for those who are in Christ, great rejoicing. Not from what we have done, but from what he has done for us. And we have the gift of eternal life. 
But at the same time, there are those who are on the other side of the coin, who have not confessed, who have not been waiting, who have stood up on their own merits thinking that they're good enough, and they'll call for the rocks to fall upon them and to hide them from the brightness of the coming of our high priest Jesus. We're either going to be on one side or we're going to be on the other. So, is there any unconfessed sin? Faith in the high priest? They had to have that waiting for the return of the high priest. But in the sanctuary, the people are waiting outside of the sanctuary. There were those who for some reason or other was not there waiting. They stayed back in their tents. They stayed back there and they weren't a part of the rest of the group. Probably they were saying to themselves, oh, I could care less about the ministry of somebody that I don't see in Jesus. It doesn't pertain to me. Or maybe they'll say, well, I don't need forgiveness for sin. I'm a good enough person right now. Look, everybody likes me. Or they was just so busy in doing their everyday business that it just didn't, wasn't a priority in their life. Everything else became a priority. Do you know what happened to those people? According to the instructions of God, if there was anyone who was not with the group anticipating the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of the high priest, who were not confessing their sins and really soul-searching themselves, if they were not waiting for the high priest to return, those individuals were cast out in the wilderness with the scapegoat. The scapegoat represents the final one who's the weight because the high priest would come and he would place his hands upon the scapegoat and this scapegoat was turned out into the wilderness to die in the wilderness. And those people who didn't pay any attention, who didn't care, who thought that their righteousness was good enough, they were turned out into the wilderness with the scapegoat. They were no longer classified as the people of God. What a waste. You know, what a waste, because it represents those of us who claim, hey, I'm part of the family of God. I'm a good person. Oh, I get so caught up in the things that I do that I'm sorry that I just don't have time to really focus on the spiritual. I don't have time to do things. You know, I'm good enough. I, I, I come up with all these excuses. But when it comes right down to it, Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And you say, but Lord, didn't we, didn't we do this? Didn't we come to church each week? That's what you want us to do. Didn't we put money in the, in the offering place? That's what you wanted us to do. Didn't, didn't we uh, do good out there? And he says, I didn't know you because you didn't know me. You didn't know my ministry. You didn't care about me. You didn't care about my ministry. You didn't care about anything that I was doing for you in heaven. And so you are no longer my child. What a waste. We're either going to be on one side or the other. There's a question that arises that I hear within this church, and I've heard within every church that I have ever ministered to in the past 30 years. That question is, what must I do in order to be saved? Same question that Jesus was asked. What must I do in order to be saved when the rich young ruler came? 
What must I do? There must be something I do. Paul says that I'm to work out my own salvation. So what is it I'm supposed to do? Well, who's doing the ministry in heaven right now? Christ is doing it. Are you up there doing it? No. So I have to believe that he's doing that. But what about me here on this earth? What am I supposed to do? Let's look at a Bible text that's often misused in the Psalms. Psalms 37 and verse 4. Now listen to this. You know it. You've heard of it. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And we use this many times, saying, Oh, Lord, you have promised to give me the desire of my heart, and the desire is for a new car, a new spouse, a new home. The list just goes on and on and on and on. And remember, you promised. That's the desire of my heart. Do you know what the context of that psalm is? The context of that psalm is the righteous versus the wicked. If you look at that, that's what it's talking about. What is the greatest desire of the righteous? Eternal life. Wouldn't you agree with me that that is far greater than any material thing that I could ever have here on this earth. I mean, that's what I want not only for myself, for my wife, but for my children and my grandchildren as well too. I don't want any of my friends left out. I want them to have the gift of eternal life. We want our sins forgiven. We want eternal life. And if you really look at that, everything looks so small and insignificant. That new car will not get me into heaven. By the way, that new spouse will not get you into heaven. You carry with you, even if you go through divorce, you carry your emotional baggage with you. Many times you have just as much problems, if not more, in that new marriage? That's not the answer. And so we have to have these things. There really isn't anything greater in life than eternal life. So how do I get it? You've got to include the next verse. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Psalm 37, verse 5. We know that trust really means faith. I have to have faith in Jesus as my high priest and as my judge and as my advocate and as my Savior. Because I can't get to heaven any other way. So we sometimes we don't have problems with the trust in the faith, although our faith wavers at times when things go wrong. But where we really have problems as church people is that word, commit your way to the Lord. We have a problem with commitment. 
We have a problem in keeping our word and our life committed to him. I want you to see something. Let's look at some examples because I think this commitment is something that God has been trying to drill into his people ever since sin entered into this world. I want you to look. Let's look at some examples. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. God said to who? Noah. Okay, now you know the story. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself, Noah, you make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make room in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Okay, i got to stop here for a second. I think it's amazing that God called this vessel an ark. He didn't call it a boat or a ship or a vessel. He called it an ark. Have you ever heard of another word called an ark that we've been studying, Matt? The ark of the covenant that's in heaven. So here is this ark, all right? God spoke to Noah. Why did he choose Noah? Because of what? Okay, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But look who chose Noah. Noah didn't get up one morning and says, I think I'll build an ark. I think it's going to rain. Never seen rain. Don't know what rain is, but I think it's going to rain. And when it rains, it's going to flood. It wasn't Noah's idea. It was God. God chose him. God chose him because of his walk with God, with his relationship with God. But God still chose him. Okay? Of all the people you know, living in all the earth, you know, he could have chose one of Noah's sons. He didn't have to choose Noah. But of all the people, he chose Noah. Noah was a remnant of the entire earth. Am I right? He was a remnant. And he chose him. And he says, okay, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the world as you know it. And I am going to have you build this ark. And I want you to do it. And you know what Noah did? God was asking him, saying, look, I've chosen you, but I want you to make a commitment. You're going to build this ark. You do as I say. And you know what Noah said? Genesis 6, verse 22, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. He made a commitment. I am going to do what God asked me to do, even though it seems ridiculous. But I'm going to do it. Why? Because I trust him. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Do you know what it says in Hebrews 11 about Noah? That was counted to him as what? Righteousness. Still the righteousness of Jesus. But because of his commitment to do what God asked him to do, even though it was ridiculous, it was placed upon him as his righteousness. That was his purpose 
in this world. God made this remnant of a man to be able to go in. So Noah, God chose Noah. He was to enter into the safety of the ark. Noah preached that a flood was coming for how long? 120 years. Why did he preach such a message? God gave it to him. And what did God want from the rest of the people? Wanted them to hear the message and he wanted them to come upon the ark because there was life in the ark. Outside of the ark, there was no life at all. He made provision for them to be able to come into the ark. There was no reason why any of the others who died in that flood needed to die in that flood because the door was open for them to come in. But they chose not to. They committed themselves to laugh and to ridicule Noah for his message. So there was the remnant. Noah and his family entered into the ark. They made a commitment. I will do what you ask me to do. Now they went through some hard times. Let's look at another example. We know this. Good old Moses. Out in the middle of the wilderness, tending his sheep, minding his own business, and he looks over and a bush is on fire, thinking the wilderness is going to catch on fire. He goes over there and he looks at that and then that bush starts talking to him. Never heard a bush talk to me. Have you? Have you ever had a bush talk to you? I haven't, other than President Bush when he was president. But that's the only bush I've ever heard talk. But this was something totally different. And here is Moses, and he's looking, and God tells him, I like, the other night, Thursday night, Gary here, who's doing all these strange things with his hands, he's the chairman of Mesa Grande Academy School Board, and he was giving us a worship, and he was talking about Moses. And he says, do you realize that ground was like any other ground until that bush started burning and it started talking. And all of a sudden that ground turned what? Why did it turn holy? The presence of God. Otherwise it wasn't. So here's the presence of God that was there. And asked Moses to take off his sandals. And he went in there. And he took off his sandals and this bush continues to talk. Look what it says. Exodus 3 verses 1 and 2. I am the God of your father. And Moses hid his face. You know how Moses reacted? He hid. For he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land flowing with milk. And I spelled that wrong. And honey. Does God hear prayers? Does God know when we're going through hard times? Is it God's desire to deliver His people out of sin and out of this sinful world? It's an example, again, of what God is willing to do. And He promises. He says, I not only am going to deliver you, but I'm going to send you to a land 
is flowing with milk and honey. It's just like us waiting. He says, I'm going to promise you that I'm going to take you out of this world and I'm going to give to you heaven. But before he led them out, who did he choose? He chose Moses first. Could he have chosen anyone else that was back in Egypt, any of the Israelites? He could have. Could have even chosen Aaron, Moses' brother. But he chose Moses. Moses is a remnant of all the Israelites that are there. And it wasn't just the Israelites because he even made provisions so that the Egyptians, if they wanted to, could leave and to go with them. He wants to deliver them. So here is Moses. He is a remnant, a a small portion of a large group that he wants to deliver and to take them to this promised land. Look at Exodus 3, verse 10. God says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Send who? Moses. going to send Moses to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Why is this ridiculous? Because when 40 years earlier when Moses was back there in Egypt and he tried to help out his people and he killed that, that slave taskmaster, his people rejected him. And God's telling him to go back to his people now. They rejected me once. Plus, after killing an Egyptian, he's guilty of killing an Egyptian and he was to be put to death. So if he went back to Pharaoh, he had the death sentence over his head. So he had a lot to worry about. This was not good for Moses. But God says, I want you to do it. God chose Moses. Moses was a remnant, but Moses resisted his call. Exodus 3, verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Exodus 3, verse 12. But God said to him, not to worry, because I will certainly be with you. God's asked him to go. God knows the death decree on his head. God knows the rejection. God knows the past. But God says, look, I've chosen you, and I know all the situations, but I'm asking you to go, and I will be with you. You're not going by yourself. God wanted Moses to commit himself to leading his people just like God had asked him to do. You are a remnant. I have chosen you. Here is the task. Now, commit yourself right now that you're going to do this. You know what he said? Exodus 4. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Please send by the hand of whomever you may send. He's saying, send somebody else. I don't want to do it. Oh, how sometimes we think that when God asks us to do something, we are so inadequate. We just don't, we can't say the right words. We just can't do the right things. You don't know, Lord, the circumstances that you're asking me to do. I mean, they'll persecute me. They'll jump out at me. They'll kill me. They'll do all kinds of things. Just send someone else. Exodus 4, verse 14. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Do you want God's anger to be kindled against you? And I don't. Because when God's angry, it's worse than any nuclear bomb that could ever be dropped. When God says, I want a commitment, he's saying, and I've chosen you, I want you to do it. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I know the past circumstances. I know your weakness. I know everything about what's going on. But I want you to do it. Make a commitment that you're going to do it. Don't even bring to me the excuses of why you don't want to do it. Because all it's going to do is make me angry. And I don't want that. God expects a commitment. No commitment makes God angry. Let's look at another. So he leads the people out. We know the story. They saw all the miracles that had taken place. The people were being led by by a pillar of smoke during the day so they could see it. It was God leading them. At night was this pillar of fire. They could see the fire at night. God was leading them there. We know the story. God brings them to Mount Sinai. Now look what happens. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know the parting of the Red Sea and all those things. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. What's his covenant? His law. If you will keep my law, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So now he's asking the people of Israel, says, now look, of all the people on the earth, I'm choosing you to be my special people. You've seen what I've done. You've witnessed. I want you to be my special people. I want you to be a remnant of all the people that are on the earth. And what I want you to do is I want you to be a kingdom of priests, preachers. I want you to share what we, what I have done for you to others. And I want you to be a holy nation, which means you're going to be different than all the other people. You're peculiar. You're strange. They're going to see it. They're going to notice it. But you are going to be a people that follows me and people will see that. And you're going to be a witness. You're going to preach to this world my message of deliverance. Because I love all of these people and I want them all to have life and to know me as their God. So... They are to obey God by keeping His commandments. They're going to be a priest to other nations, to be wholly different from the rest of the earth. Exodus 19, verse 8. Then all the people, here's the Israelites, look. They answered and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You know what the problem is? It was just lip service. We'll follow you. We'll do whatever you want me to do. We'll be your people. But God doesn't want lip service. He wants committed people to live a godly lifestyle 
And they are to be different from all the other people living on the earth. He wants people to live a life like what we would live in heaven. And live it here on this earth. And you're going to be a witness. You're a remnant. You're a witness. But they're going to see God working through you. Well, Moses went up onto that Mount Sinai and the old earth shook and everything else and all the people were to stand there and they were to wait for Moses to come back down and to reveal to them what had taken place and what God was saying. So they all kind of stood out there. But you know what happened? Moses delayed. The old rascal, he just forgot to look at his watch. And he didn't come down. And they got tired of waiting for him. And after they were sitting and then when the delay was coming and everything else, they decided, you know, I think something happened to him up there. He must have fallen off the cliff. Or he's up there skiing or something. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not coming down. So now we've got to do something. So what we want to do is we want to kind of change our worship service. Exodus 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, remember this is the same people, says, we'll do whatever you ask us to do. Said to Aaron, come, make us, and I wrote little gods in there. And notice it's plural. Where in the world did they pick up the idea of other gods? Plural. Back in Egypt. I want to worship like we used to worship back in Egypt. So make us gods that shall go before us. Exodus 32, verses 3 and 4. So the people broke off the golden earrings. Where did they get the earrings from? Egypt. Do you know why they had the gold? It was supposed to, well, the Egyptians gave it to them, but they were supposed to use it later on for this building of the sanctuary and all the golden use. But they decided, well, God, we'll keep a few of the bangles and beads and God won't mind. But they got it from the Egyptians. So the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. What happened to these people that says, God will do what you say. We'll make a commitment, we'll follow you. You're our only God. We witnessed you. We know it was you that brought us out. We saw the miracles. And now all of a sudden they make these other gods and they start worshiping it back the way it used to be where all the other people and how they're worshiping and everything. And then they says, now this is the God, this golden calf that led us out of Israel. Where in the world did the commitment go? We are to commit our way unto the Lord. Not to any other God. And then they changed their form of worship. Look what happened. Exodus 32, verses 7 and verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, remember Moses is still up there on Mount Sinai. The Lord said to Moses, they're up there in that mountain, go, get down for your people whom you, notice what he says, you brought out of Egypt. Do you notice the change? Beforehand they were my people. Now they're saying, your people. When you break a commitment, you're breaking a relationship with God. 
Get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. He says, look, I'm going to destroy them now and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to be another remnant from the remnant, from the remnant, from the remnant. Just because a church says they're a remnant does not mean that you cannot be cast out. Or that the church can be totally blanked out and God starts up another remnant. God can do that, you know that? But what He wants is people that are committed to being a remnant. And if they refuse and only use lip service... They are cast out from being a part of God's family. There are numerous examples in the Bible of of God saying, I have chosen you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to make a commitment. Some do, some don't. God always, down through the ages, has always selected a special group. He He could make the rocks cry out if He wanted to. And do the exact same thing. He could send angels from heaven and do the same things he asked his people to do. But he expects them to be different from the rest of the religious world. He wants them to make a commitment to be his people. And he doesn't want lip service. John 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You didn't come To God, God chose you. Do you know what that means? The reason why you're sitting in this church today is not from your choice. You have been chosen by God to be in this church. He's chosen you. You could go to any other church, couldn't you? There's a Catholic church down there. You could all choose to go to the Catholic church, couldn't you? There are all kinds of churches all over the world today. If you don't like Christian churches, you can go be a Muslim, Buddhist. But God chose you to be here this morning. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here by accident. You're here by God. Those of you who are not Seventh-day Adventists, close your ears. Go to sleep for the rest of the sermon. You have been chosen by God to be a Seventh-day Adventist, period. You might have converted. You might have been born in the church. But you're not here by accident. You are here as a remnant different than the rest of the churches in the world. Today, you have become a part of this church and there are responsibilities that go along with it. Revelation chapter 12. You want me to stop? It's after 12. Keep going. Okay. Revelation 12, verse 17. The dragon. Who's the dragon? That Satan was wroth with the woman. Went to make war. The woman is a what? Bible prophecy is a church. Went to, it was angry at the church. Went to make war with the remnant of her seed. 
How do I know who they are? They're the ones that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. You have been chosen to be a part of a remnant. There are churches all over. There are great people in all denominations that God loves and saves. But there is a group of people that says that he says, I want you to be classified as a peculiar people. Different than the rest of the religions. You have been chosen with a special message. We call it in our church the three angels message of Revelation 14. That's your responsibility. I want you to do it. Not just the preacher. Every man, woman, and child are to be holy priests, a holy nation. To share the three angels message to the world. To make an opportunity for the people to know. And here's how you're going to be different than the rest of the world. You're going to keep all the Ten Commandments. Not just nine, but ten. You're going to keep those commandments. And elsewhere in the book of Revelation says you're to have the faith of Jesus. There's a lot of churches that have the faith of Jesus. But here's where this one's a little different. Because you not only keep the commandments of God, but you have the testimony of Jesus. So from all the churches that are in this world today... God has chosen you to be part of what he calls the last day remnant church that is going to be different than other churches. We believe in keeping all the commandments of God in the Seventh-day Adventist church, don't we? Which includes the Sabbath, okay? We have the faith of Jesus, don't we? I'm not saved by keeping the commandments of God. I am saved by my faith in Jesus who is my high priest and ministering for me right now in heaven. We have the testimony of Jesus. What do you mean by that? Revelation 19.10. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the what? Spirit of prophecy. Now we believe in the Ten Commandments. We especially believe in the Sabbath. God never changed the Sabbath. He didn't change it to another day. That's what makes us different than a lot of the rest of the worlds. But we have the spirit of prophecy. I thank God that he gave to us a woman who made a commitment to God at a very young age to be able to say, reluctant, but I will do what you ask me to do. Not knowing what the consequences is going to bring to her. A lot of people rejected her. A lot of professional people rejected her. A lot of family members rejected her. She had to tell people things that they didn't want to hear, and they lashed out at her. But there is not one iota, and I've gone through, there's not one iota of anything that she wrote that is contrary to Bible teaching. In fact, it's not that we're saved by reading her writings. Our salvation comes by studying the Word of God, but it is a commentary to help me to understand what it means living as a remnant people living in this day. It's not anything that I cannot find in the Bible. It just kind of explains it to me a little better. And I thank God that I have her writings. The more I read them, the more I understand what the Bible is trying to say. To read the Desire of Ages and to see the life of Jesus just amazes me as if I was right there with him. 
patriarchs and prophets, prophets and kings, to see the great controversy and then seeing it happening in my world today gives me a better understanding that we're living at the end of time. We are the only church, the only denomination that meets the criteria of the remnant. That doesn't mean that other people are not saved in other churches. That just means that God has given us a responsibility. You are, you have chosen, or you have been born into the Seventh-day Adventist church. That means that God says, I want you to make a commitment right now that you will be my people, be different than the rest of the world, and be proud of the fact that I'm going to be right there with you, and I'm going to help you. And I know you're going to go through persecution. Some of you are already going through it. I know that you're going to go through some persecutions, but I want you to know that I'm going to be there with you and Because you have chosen and made the commitment. Don't make it lip service. Make it a commitment of your lifestyle that we're going to have reserved for you a place in heaven because of your commitment. Now, what if I refuse? We've already seen in the past, if I refuse to make that commitment or if I make it just lip service and I really don't do anything the rest of the week, I only come to church, I can be cast out, out of the family of God. Is that worth it? I want eternal life. I want my family to have eternal life. I must help my family to realize that when they're young, that it's a privilege and an honor to be chosen by God to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I want to make my life so that they feel it's an honor and a privilege as children to be in a Seventh-day Adventist family. I want people at my workplace to see Jesus. I want people on the street to see the love of Jesus within my heart. I want people to say, you know, you look different than the rest of the people in the church. That's because I don't need something to make me look nice. I have Jesus, and that's all I need. He wants us, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, to make a commitment right now. He wants us, he's asking us, are you willing to make a total commitment? I mean every day. To serve as an ambassador for Christ in this sinful world. He could ask another denomination. He could ask other people. He could ask penguins. They're willing to do it. But he asks us. Oh yeah, we're a small church here in Beaumont. You might sit back and say, well, I just don't have the right thinking, I don't have the right talents, I don't, you can make all the excuses that Moses came, but be careful, if you make too many, 
He got the anger of God after a bit. You see, he will not ask you to do something if he is not willing to be able to back it up with all of heaven. You just have to be willing to be committed not only to believing him, but to change your lifestyle. You need to be one willing to look up in the whole crowd and to say, I am proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. You've heard the song, I'm proud to be an American. Well, I'm proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Are you? We need people to take a stand. Just like Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a commitment. That doesn't mean one day a week. That means every day. And people are going to lash out. People are going to hurt your feelings. But I tell you what, I'm still a chosen child of God. They can lash out because they don't understand. But I am going to follow my Lord where he has led me and where he will lead me. Are you willing to make a commitment? That means to follow the doctrines of the church. That's not going through the doctrine and say, well, I'll, I'll do this one and this one and this one, but this one I'm not going to do. It means I've got to follow everything. That means when we have Sabbath school, we can't sit there when somebody brings up what Ellen White says, Yo, we, we're not going to... Don't think it hasn't happened because it has in this church. I'm proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. We don't have to come up and say, oh, I've got new light from the Lord, new understanding. The Seventh-day Adventist church has been wrong. I'll tell you what, it has been tried. It has been proven. It has been carried down through countless centuries before there ever was a Seventh-day Adventist. This is the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it is his teachings that we're following. Any new light Paul calls a different gospel. I'm either a Seventh-day Adventist and believe in the message and the doctrines and the teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist church. If you are not willing to go with it, you are not a Seventh-day Adventist. Your name may be on the book, but you're not committed to what God has been leading. I'm proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. But I need others to stand with me. If you're proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist, I hope that you make a stand right now. That you're making a commitment, not of lips, but I am willing to live a lifestyle of a chosen, peculiar people. And while you're standing, let's take our hymnals and turn to hymn number 526. It's because Jesus lives that I can face as a remnant, I can face tomorrow. No matter what takes place, Jesus has promised to be with me. Hymn number 526.
God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater child can face uncertain days because he lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know Father, you have chosen us. We have not chosen you. We're not here by accident. We are here by divine plan. You have laid out before us your instructions, your leaders, your prophets, your word, your teaching. And you have said, come, take, eat, be part of this and become a remnant, a peculiar people, holy priests, holy unto you, to a sin-sick world. We accept that responsibility not by lip service, but by our lifestyle as we follow your holy plan because it came to us through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Amen.